Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Jenna. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Will you say it with me? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I know what some of you are thinking. Only one verse means church is going to be short today. Here's the thing, the 49ers played yesterday, so I got nowhere to be, so uh, we're going to be here a while. So uh, a week ago, my brother-in-law and his wife were out visiting us, and they came and stayed at our house. And uh, so after the kids would go to bed, we would all hang out and do different things. But uh, several of the nights, we uh, sat on the couch and watched movies or watched TV shows or something along those lines. And I found out something about my sister-in-law. I found out that she falls asleep every time the TV is on. Movie theater, TV, doesn't matter. She is falling asleep. Apparently the primary time is during action scenes, which I don't really get, but that uh, is just not her thing, I guess. But how many of you uh, fall asleep when you're watching movies, TV? I know there's several. Now, how many of you intentionally turn on the TV to fall asleep at night? Some of you, uh, a little more guilt in that one for some reason. But yeah, she would, she would fall asleep. And, and so then I found out from my brother-in-law that uh, there was a time where they were, were watching a, a movie. They went to the movie theater and were watching a movie. And midway through the movie, she's looking at him and, and she's like, this movie is terrible. It doesn't make any sense. Like, what is happening? How did they get here? Why, like, why is all this stuff happening? What is going on? This is just an awful, awful movie. And basically what happened is that apparently she had fallen asleep at the beginning of the movie, <laughs> didn't realize it, and woke up in the middle thinking, this is where they started us? <laughs> you can understand the confusion and the difficulty in picking something up in the middle. You know, if we are dropped into the middle of a story, whether it's a, a great book or a movie or even like a TV series at different times, it, we're probably going to feel like we're missing something. And oftentimes if we're dropped into the middle, there's going to be some, some tension because we want to know how people got to where they're at right now. And we want the context of what happened before to help us understand where they're going to end up in the future. We want to know who the characters are. We want to know who the people are. And so we're going to feel that tension. We might feel some confusion. We might feel a little stressed out or even a little anxious potentially. And maybe you've had this moment, but, but there are times where I feel like Life feels that way sometimes. Like there, there are moments where I feel like I've been dropped into the middle of the story and I just don't know what's going on. Where it's easy to look at our circumstances and to look at the chaos and confusion of our world and just to look and think, what is going on here? How do we get to this place? What is happening? Who, who are these people? Like what, why am I here? What, what is the purpose of all of this? The truth is, as, as Christians, we can feel that way and trying to pursue God and do what he desires from us. There can be times where it feels confusing. There can be times where we have questions of God and are wondering, God, why are things the way they are? Why did you put me here in this place now? Why am I experiencing the things that I'm experiencing? And, and I'm trying to follow you, but I can't really make sense of what you want me to do. It feels like we've been put in the middle of things. 
And in truth, we have been. Like our stories are not the beginning of human history. I don't know if you're aware of that, right? Human history did not start with your birth. It started with mine. But we can feel that way because it's, it's truthful. We're in the middle of things. And so sometimes we're looking around and it, and it feels confusing and chaotic and it feels stressful and anxious. And even being a follower of Christ can feel like, what is happening? What is going on? Why am I here? And so to help us get understanding, we need to do the same thing that we would do if we were dropped into the middle of a story, a movie, a, a TV series, whatever it may be. We need to go back to the beginning and see the way things were and the way things were intended to be to help give us context for our lives here and now. And as we read the Bible, if you just open up into the middle of Scripture, there's going to be some things that don't make sense. And again, we need to go back to the beginning. To understand all of Scripture, we need to really have a foundation that starts in the beginning, that helps us to understand what we're reading about, and that helps us to understand how we are living our lives here and now as followers of Christ in relationship to what God did from the very beginning. And so I am so excited about the next eight weeks. We're going to spend eight weeks reading the book of Genesis. And now Genesis is a long book. We're only going to get through 12 chapters. I mean, we're only getting through one verse today. So, you know, we got a long ways to go. But we're going to go through 12, the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis and and, and just see the beginning of things. The beginning of humanity, the beginning of creation, the beginning of sin, the beginning of God's people. There's so many beginnings that are found in the book of Genesis. Now, some of you may have already put this together, but Genesis is in the Old Testament. And there are many who come to church and think, hey, the Old Testament, it's old. It's out of date. We don't need it anymore. We can maybe occasionally read a verse or two, but there's no reason to study it. There's no real reason to read it. Let's stick with the New Testament. That's where Jesus comes in. That's where the good stuff happens. And there's a level of truth saying, hey, we want what's new, right? I mean, you wouldn't You wouldn't get like a brand new iPhone and then go back and buy the iPhone 5 and like rotate between the two of them every other month just to have like context for the new iPhone, right? So there's value in pursuing what's new. And the New Testament is going to tell us about Jesus. It's going to tell us probably more, uh, it's going to be easier to apply to our lives of how we are supposed to live in our culture here and now. But here's the thing. The New Testament authors, Jesus in the New Testament, they all had a great understanding of the Old Testament. They're constantly quoting the Old Testament, pointing back to the Old Testament. And so if they're pointing back to it, there's an assumption there that we have at least a basic knowledge of that which happened before in order to understand what the New Testament is and where we are at here and now. And so we're going to go back to the very beginning of the Old Testament and go back to the book of Genesis But let's talk about Genesis for just a minute and talk about the book itself because we want to understand who it was written by, why it was written, how it was written, because these things are important to understand. We need to to understand how, how the original audience would have understood it. We need to know what it meant for them before we can understand what it means for us here and now. So the book of Genesis and the next four books of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, These are what are known as the books of the law or the Pentateuch or sometimes the books of Moses because they were all written by Moses. Now, Moses is a person that that most people are familiar with. Both Christians and non-Christians alike have at least some knowledge of this Moses from the Old Testament. Moses was one of the, the biggest figures in the Old Testament. He's one of the biggest figures in Jewish history because he had so many different roles. 
I mean, really one of the biggest ones is that he was the deliverer of God's people, right? He led them out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land. He got them right to the edge of the promised land. He was a leader. He was obviously an author. He was a prophet. He was a judge, one of the greatest judges in human history. And he was someone who had a relationship with God that was unlike anything that had ever been seen before. And really, maybe unlike anything that we've ever seen since. He had such a unique relationship with God that it created jealousy and tension and division amongst the Israelite people because others believed that they were worthy of that place, that they were the ones that God should have chosen. And they wanted that relationship with him. But God chose Moses for that purpose. So when we read, we know that this is someone who, who intimately knew God, who writes with great authority. And he writes to the Israelite people, and he's writing at a time where they're wandering in the desert. This 40 years where they're in between Egypt and getting ready to enter into the promised land, this is when he sat down and wrote these five books of the law, when he wrote the Pentateuch. And so he's writing to God's people who have come from Egypt, are getting right ahead in the promised land, and he knows that he is not going in there with them. So you have to understand that, that Moses is writing to this people who he loves, who he cares about, but he's writing to, to remind them, this is his last chance to remind them Remember who you are. Or maybe more importantly, remember whose you are. So you think about where they came from, and, and you might know of the Egyptian culture and the Egyptian forms of worship, and you know that the Egyptians had many different gods that they worshipped, and they worshipped in different ways than God called his people to worship. And so while they were living in Egypt, some of that that culture, some of those beliefs had maybe begun to creep into the nation of Israel, had begun to creep into God's people. And so as they left Egypt, there was a lot of struggles because they weren't pursuing the one true God. And then God constantly revealed himself and showed them over and over and over again, no, no, I'm the one true God. I'm the one with power. I'm the one with authority. I'm above all these false Egyptian gods. I'm the one you should be worshiping, the one you should be obedient to. And so maybe by this point, they've sort of gotten some of the Egyptian stuff out of the, out of the way and, and out of their system, but now they're getting ready to enter into the land of Canaan. The Canaanites live in the land of Canaan, and they rivaled the Egyptians in terms of false god worship, pagan worship, many gods that they worshiped. And so Moses knows that as they enter, they're entering into a land of opposition, a land of physical opposition, but also a land of spiritual opposition. And so Moses is writing to these people and he's saying, hey, here's where you came from and here's where you're headed. There's opposition on both sides. There's temptation on both sides. There's things that are trying to pull you away from the heart of God. But stay true to God. Stay true to him. And so these five books of the law are the foundation that the Israelites are to build their nation on, to say, this is who I am as a follower of God. This is who God is, and I understand who he is, and I am a follower of him, and here's what it means to live in response to that knowledge. Here's what it means to live as a follower of him. In any culture that I may enter, I stay true to the one who I belong to. I stay true to the one true God.
and I worship him the way he has called me to worship him. And so Moses was writing to the Israelites then, but he also was writing to us here now today. See, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says that the, the plants will wither and fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so I don't think Moses sat down and was thinking, hey, in 2023, there's going to be some people in Carmichael, California, they're going to gather together and need to hear these words. God certainly directed him thinking about us here today as well. And so these words are for us, they're for all the saints who have come before, and they're for all those who will come after to help give understanding about who God is and how we should live in response to him, to remind us in a culture, in a world that doesn't pursue God, that we belong to him and we will pursue him. We will worship him. We will give ourselves to him because he is the one who is worthy of it. So Genesis has really two themes. One is very obvious and one is sort of hidden in plain sight. The, the, the first theme is this, is it's, it's a book of beginnings. The word Genesis means beginning. And so it, it exists to be a historical narrative that tells us these stories, that tells us about, about the beginning of things. Creation, humanity, sin, brokenness, like God's people, division, all these things that we will go over the next several weeks. It exists to just tell us that story. But it also exists to point the people and to point us today to our need for Jesus. See, in John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, who, by the way, would have had a great understanding of the Old Testament. And he says this in verse 39. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So the Pharisees were under a false assumption that if we're really good at, at being obedient to the law, that we receive eternal life. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the scriptures that you study, the book of Genesis, the law, the prophets, all this stuff, it exists to point to your need for a savior and to show you who he's going to be. And Jesus is telling them, scripture clearly reveals me to you, but you're ignoring me. You're ignoring the relationship. You're ignoring the Savior, thinking this by itself. Like if I just read through this enough times, I'll have eternal life. Well, that's not it. This points us to Christ. And so Genesis, as well as every other book in the Bible, points us to Jesus. And so we're going to see our need for him. We're going to see how God has, has told the people that he's coming, and really that redemption comes through Christ. And so what we're really going to see is God created in a beautiful and wonderful way. We mess things up, and God sent Jesus to make all things right and make all things new. That's really the story of Genesis and the story of the entire Bible. So that's it. That's all we have to say today. Uh, no, let's dive in. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the first four words of the Bible, the first four words of the book of Genesis, they center us. They tell us what the Bible is all about. In the beginning, God. See, the Bible, the entire story of Scripture, it's all about God. It's not about you and me, it's about God. It's about Him, it's about His glory. 
And so it's telling us that we exist because of and for God. He is the main character in the story. He is the central figure in all of history and certainly in all of Scripture. You know, I was on TV once. Maybe more, I don't know. I could have been in some hidden shots somewhere uh, along sometime. But, but I was on a nationally televised TV show called American Ninja Warrior. Anyone heard of American Ninja Warrior? Yes, I know. You're all thinking, yes, Ryan, you have the physique for it. Like, you clearly <laughs> are built to be a ninja, right? Um, I was. I was actually, I was technically on two episodes of American Ninja Warrior. And, and I know that many of you are asking the same question that it, everyone else has asked when I tell them that. Like, how'd you do? Well, I didn't go on the obstacles, okay? I, I wasn't actually competing on the show, but I was there, and I actually have proof. I have a picture here that I took from TV one time. Uh, now, some of you have seen it. That's, that's not me in the front with the red and black jacket, but if you look just over his left shoulder, that's me going like this. <laughs> right, like that's, that's me, that's my father-in-law to my left there. We went down and we watched a recording of American Ninja Warrior, and so we were, we were there, they film throughout the night, so you get there at like 8 p.m., and then you stay until about 4 a.m., and you clap on all the people who are actually good at athletics, and uh, you think, oh, I could do that, and uh, then you just don't do it. Um, it's great and wonderful. Now, here's the thing. I was on two episodes. If you didn't know that I was on the episode, you would never know that I was on the episode, right? Like, no one was calling me and be like, Ryan, I just saw you on American Ninja Warrior. You had to know that I was there, and you honestly probably had to know where I was and like who I was behind at different points in order to pause it at just the right moment to find myself over people's shoulders and somewhere in the background. Now, here's the thing. In the scheme of the show, I didn't matter. But when that show aired, I can tell you that I told every single person that I was on American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> and in my head, that show was all about me, right? And here's the thing, some of us, we, many of us, we do this, we do this with God. We do this in our lives. We take the main character and we move him out of the way and we say, hey, this is all about me. And it's very common in the world. Like Christians, unfortunately, we've gotten sucked into the culture's view of this. Because you think about it around the world, you think, hey, it's all about living my best life, living my truth, doing what's best for me. Really, you exist to make me happy. And if you do something that offends me, I cancel you because it offended me. If you do something that makes me happy, then, then you can stick around for a little bit. We make the story about ourselves and we're background actors. We forget that the main character is God. And we seek, for, we seek our own glory rather than seeking the glory of him, the creator, the one who was there from the very beginning. See, the Bible is a story about God and our lives are a story about God, a reflection of his glory and his goodness. Everything in creation exists because of and for God. And so as we read Genesis and gather every Sunday for the next eight weeks and beyond, we need to remember that God is the one in the center because he is the one who was there from the beginning. Notice I'm not in this story. It doesn't say in the beginning, Ryan. Right? It doesn't say in the beginning, Ryan wasn't there, but he was a thought in God's mind. 
It's not about me. It's actually not even about creation as we unfold the, the creation narrative here. It doesn't say in the beginning the universe was empty and dark. No, because that's not the place to start. We start with God. In the beginning, God. By the way, also, not in the beginning, one of the gods. Not in the beginning, a God. In the beginning, God, the one and only who has been there from the beginning, who is and who will always be. Remember, Moses is writing to people who have just experienced a culture that had many gods and are going into a place that also has many gods, all these false forms of worship. And this is what he decides to start with, in the beginning, God. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses continues and he writes the 10 commandments that are from God. And God says, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because there are no other gods. There's nothing that is worthy of your worship. There's nothing that is worthy of your time in the way that God is. Nothing compares to him. There is no comparison because he is the one who was there in the beginning. Everything is about God. It is his story. And it is him that we fall before in worship. It is him that we glorify. It is him that we rejoice in. It is him that we give thanks to. Because everything starts with him. It says God created the heavens and the earth, which really just means he created everything. All of it. Right? The earth is pretty easy to understand. It's, it's everything that we see. It's what we're standing on right now. But the heavens is not what we think of as the place where God resides and the angels flap their wings. The heavens means everything beyond. All the stars and the planets and the galaxies, the entire universe. That's the heavens that is being discussed here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And so it's telling us anything you see and perceive was created by and for God. Anything you don't see that you can't even begin to understand was created by and for God, for his glory alone. It's all because of and for him. He created, it tells us that God is a creative creator. And everything he creates, he creates good and beautiful and wonderful. And so when we look at creation, it should lead us to just be in awe of him. To be in awe of how amazing and wonderful he really is. It says that he did this in the beginning, and in the beginning only makes sense to our understanding of time and creation. There is no beginning for God. God created time. He exists outside of time. God is present here, now, in the future, and at the past, all at the same time. He's not confined by things like time and space. He is bigger than we can possibly imagine more glorious than we could ever dream of. And he is the center of our story. And so as we move through the book of Genesis, there's a few things that I think we need to be reminded of that we need to keep at the core, that if we understand that God is the center of the story, that if we exist and creation exists because of and for him, then these are some things that we need to hold on to. The first thing is this, is that our value comes from our beginning. Our value comes from our beginning. In other words, all of human life, the value of humans comes from our creator in the moment of creation. And so there might be times in life where you feel like, I don't have a high value. I'm not worth very much. I don't mean anything. And it's probably happening because you're looking around and you're comparing yourself to the world or, or you're basing your life and your value and your worth off the world's expectations. But listen, your value is not based on how much money you make. 
Your value is not based on how good, of a, uh, how good you do at your job. Your value is not based on the relationships you have. Your value is based on what your creator says about you. And your creator says that you are loved, that you are his masterpiece, that you are a new creation, not defined by your sin or your brokenness, but you are son or daughter of the most high king. That's your value. And so as we experience this world and all the difficulties and challenges that it throws at us, all the times it tries to knock us down, remember that your value comes from your beginning, comes from the creation right here in Genesis 1-1. That in the beginning, God created and he created you and I, and he determines our value and our worth. And when we read scripture, that is a very good thing. But the second thing is this, it's not just about me, but it's also about changing the way I perceive everyone else. So we need to remember that God made everything and therefore everything belongs to God. That God made everything and therefore everything belongs to God and that includes everyone. And so the way we treat people, the way we interact with people, the way we forgive people, the way we love people, the way we talk to people, the way we talk about people, the way we pray for people, it's gonna change based on how much time we spend reflecting on the idea that everything and everyone belongs to God because he is the creator of all things and all people. And so as we reflect on this idea that God holds all people in his hands, that they belong to him, then we start to see people in two different categories. One, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and scripture is clear about how we should treat those people. And two, those who don't know Christ yet, but those who God has called us to go and love and to share the good news with. And that's it. Those are the two categories that we live in. Those who know him and have received the gift and those who have yet to receive the gift that we are sharing it with. And so the more time we spend reflecting on God and the way he sees the world, Understand that he is the creator and therefore he is the owner, the possessor of all things and all people. It's going to change the way we interact with people. It's going to help us to love like Christ did. Third is this, because this will help us change our, the way we see our circumstances, is we need to remember that because God made everything, he knows everything about everything. Because God made everything, he knows everything about everything. So there's a scene in the movie Big Hero 6. It's a, an animated movie that came out years ago. And, and there's this young boy who's a genius and he's built this really cool robot. He goes with his brother to his brother's school and he's interacting with the professor. And the professor says, wow, this is really impressive. And, and, and this boy, this boy genius basically says, yeah, I can, I can tell you how it all works. And the brother shows up and says, hey, he invented the parts. He knows how they work. That's how we need to perceive God, that we need to understand that he has created everything and therefore he knows everything about everything. Now, here's what this helps us do. In our circumstances, it reminds us that God sees a bigger picture that we are not aware of. It reminds us that while we may think that God didn't see certain things coming, he was already aware of them at the moment of creation. And so we may feel like, hey, this life is out of control and chaotic, but when we read in scripture that it says in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, we believe that to be true. When it says that we have eternity and that all things can be redeemed, like we believe that to be true. 
When we see that God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, we believe that to be true. Because we know with confidence that God knows everything that's going on and everything that will happen and everything that ever has happened. And while that may not give us understanding for why it's happening, we do know that he is still with us, that he is still present, and that his promises are still true. It also gives us confidence in knowing that our sin, our brokenness, that, that those things can be, can be made new, that our sin can be washed away, that our brokenness can be made whole. Because the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. By the way, when that was written in scripture, like when God directed John to write that, he knew what your sin was gonna be. Because there's people who come to church all the time and they're like, yeah, God can forgive sins, but not my sins. He didn't know what I was gonna be like. He didn't know what I was gonna do. But if God says he can forgive it, he, you know with confidence that he said that knowing the sin that you would have experienced and you would have had in your life. God can make all things new. And the final thing that we need to remember as we look at the one who is there from the beginning is that God is self-sufficient. And this is important because it tells us that God is not corruptible, right? Your, your greatest need is what makes you vulnerable. Your greatest need is what's going to drive your life. But God has no needs. He is self-sufficient. When he created us, it wasn't because he needed us. Right, like God wasn't up there being like, you know what I really need? A bunch of broken, sinful humans who are gonna constantly rebel against me. Like that's what I'm missing in my life. No, God created just because of his glory, out of his glory. He doesn't need us, he doesn't need anything. And so we know that the character and the nature of God is always consistent and it cannot be changed because God is self-sufficient. And so he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so here's what I want to wrap up with today. Isaiah chapter 40 speaks of the bigness of God. And I'm going to invite the band to come back up here. They're going to close out with one final song that actually speaks into the idea of really coming out of our, our Egypt, wherever our Egypt may be. And this reminder that Hey, wherever we came from, wherever we're going, that we remember who we are. We remember whose we are. But Isaiah 40 speaks of the, the bigness of God, and it helps put things in perspective. This reminder that we are small and God is big. And that is a very good thing. That God never changes. He never grows tired or weary. And when we keep him at the center of the story, amazing things happen. And so would you stand with me as I read this passage and close in prayer and we'll continue to worship together. It says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? 
Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. God, we give you thanks because you are worthy of it. We give you glory and worship because you are big. You are the center of the story. Help us to not forget that ever in our lives, to keep you as the main thing. And God, thank you for demonstrating your love to us through your son, Jesus. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.